And here we go, another episode of Real Deal Talk. Today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with the nicest guy on planet Earth. <laughs> Mr. Banner, Greg Banner, not to be confused with Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk. Although if you look at no, him, you, you might... I got you sitting across from me. <laughs> my altar, my altar, altar yeah, you go. That's right. <laughs> Oh, uh, man, this guy is literally the nicest, most passionate guy, um, just loves helping, loves connecting. He, he and I are very similar when we because we love connecting people, right? We do. We do. And I don't think I've met anybody else quite like that. And then you know, I meet Greg, and he's like, J.D., I need you to meet this guy. I'm like, okay, who's this? Casey uh, LeBlanc, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and he's the same way I am. We, we don't know why, but we'll just form the introduction and next thing you know two people click and you know it's just the way we operate you and i are like identical when it comes to that, and i love that about you so but here's here's the thing ladies and gentlemen greg is a financial guru so we're going to dig a little bit into his backstory first because i want to give you know let everybody know what's going on with greg where did he come from what's going on with this guy and then we'll get into some financial stuff he's going to spit some fire on the financial front right yeah and then uh, we'll see where else this goes because I really know I don't know anything else about you. Met met him at Awakened Church, of course, um, and he's done a couple of talks, a couple of teachings about finances, like about um, stru business structures, tax structures, ways to help you save money, keep the money that you have. I'm not going to go too far into that, but uh, that's pretty much what I know. Other than the, other than being a great guy, loves connecting people, and just a genuinely genuinely giving guy that just is passionate about what he does what it does is which is helping other people and so with that said we're just going to start digging in here greg and uh so let, let's go back so you you've been on the planet a pretty long time yeah 57 years yep right little been bit here longer. a while time time exponentially <laughs> it is goes. right oh my gosh i know as we get older it's more responsibilities it's ridiculous how fast time goes ridiculous so all right let's go back where where were you born and raised uh, born in LA, ra raised yeah, 10, 11 years there. Then my dad got transferred. We got transferred down to San Diego. But what did he do? Was he a in insurance? Yeah. Uh, so any sisters, in, any brothers, any, uh, I've got three brothers. Oh, wow. I'm one of the smaller size. Two of my brother, we, we, we have a big family from the standpoint of one of my brothers is six, eight and the other six, seven. No kidding. <laughs> and, and, Get out of here. The, and I, and I've shrunk, I, I've shrunk an inch. Yeah. I used to be I used to be sixty two six two. Are you serious? And I'm six one. <laughs> I it, it just I I think it it's all the the adrenaline yeah. the stupid stuff I did you know activity yeah. wise that shrunk my spine or something. I need Doctor Matt to stretch me out on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and again uh, the nicest guy, but you do the craziest freaking things I've ever seen in my life. He's sending me pictures of like a couple of weeks ago. What were you in F fourteen? What were you in? Or an F-18? L-39. No, no. Oh, L-39. Oh. L-39. So oh, okay. In a jet, like at Mach 3. They were, they're, check, I, I wish. <coughs> I haven't done, done the Mach. Yeah. The, the jets we do only go, they'll only go up to like 550 or oh, Only. We can't, we can't break. Although the MiG, the MiG will break. The MiG can go faster. I can't believe you do that stuff. He's uh, like, J.D., can I get, I, so. I've got a good connection. I can get you up there. I, I'm like, no, no, I have no, no, no desire. I, but I actually have the, the Tom, the whole Tom Cruise story about, you know, yeah. upside down in a negative 4G yeah. over the MiG. I ha I'm regularly upside down you, over a formation of airplanes and, and 
a couple of guys have MIGs. <laughs> so technically, yeah, I'm up and I'm taking photos. <laughs> yeah, no thank you. You're insane. Oh, dude. Um, all right, so, so childhood, three, said three brothers. Yep. Okay. Anything in childhood? What, anything? Uh, oh, pa- the parents. Give me the parents. Was it uh, they were married, uh, we stayed were, together? Oh, married. I, I mean, I was like the perfect family. Okay. You know? Yeah, give it to me. My mom and dad, I don't think I ever saw them fight once or argue. You know, it's like, come home, dinner's on the table. You know, it's like the, what is the lever, leave it to beaver. Yeah, leave it, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, we were, you know, during the daytime, it's like, be back by five o'clock. Is it, God, it was so great growing up as kids. Yeah. You just go, it's like, hey, we're going to ride our bikes. You know, where are you going? Oh, that, that area or whatever. Yeah. Okay, be back by five. There was no watch out for this or watch out for that. It's like, no. you know, we'd go miles and go out in the wilderness or whatever. It was just good times. Uh, nothing, yeah. nothing, you know, I was... I was like the the quiet, never got in trouble, you know, average student, went public school, all that, all my brothers did. I had one of my brothers was the the rebel in the family. Uh, and are you the, you're the oldest, always, youngest, I'm, middle? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. And well, how old's the, uh, was, right now, uh, how old's the uh, youngest? Uh, and he's Late 40s? Early 40s. Early 40s. We, got a, we have a big gap. Yeah. Us. Uh, but it's. We had, you know, we had just nothing, nothing that exciting. It, you know, I got to high school. I was, I was the twig. You were the twig. It was like, I mean, I, I was probably weighed a buck 20 or a buck 30 in high school. <laughs> and it was, I used to joke, remember they used to have that presidential fitness stuff Yeah. And you had to do your pull-ups and sit-ups and all. Man, I could do the run and I could do the jump stuff and sit-ups, but it came to the pull-ups and stuff like that. I had, luckily there's a few guys who are like, oh, how many pull-ups do you want to do, Greg? And you know, they like keep their arm on your leg to yeah. make sure you're not swinging a couple of guys how many you want i'm like give me like eight and they're like this you know helping one, you one two three four it's like okay just make it look respectable <laughs> uh but i was into i love i used to i was in the band you're in the band i actually no went way. i actually went to band camp oh my, my freshman Come on. year for like four days there is a band camp did you do any sports as a kid it's i love sports yeah so yeah. I was a big soccer player. Okay. My dad, and that was one of the coolest things. My dad became our soccer coach, you know, yep. knew nothing about soccer when we started playing when I was young yeah. and for years coached my team. And that actually led to me because I, I became a soccer coach no and way. coached my son's son's team for many years. And it was, it was, I'm not one of those parents that I can't just stand on the sideline. Yeah. I want to be out there practicing whatever, even when he was playing baseball, I know nothing about baseball, but I, Hey, I'll help out. I'd, I'd rather be out shagging balls or whatever. And you have how many kids? Uh, just one. Just one. And how old is he? He's 19. Oh, he's, he's 19 in, now. He's in, he's in college. Wow. So just finished his freshman year in college out in Denver. Uh, and so you played soccer. That was your sport. Played soccer. That was, that was my sport, but I just wasn't good enough to, I wasn't good enough for college. Okay. Uh, but I ran distance runner. Yeah. And I used to distance and track and I hate, there's one thing I hate at stretching. So what I figured <laughs> Most out guys do, I think and what I figured out in track is if you're a pole vaulter or a high jumper while everyone else is stretching, you have to go get the pits out and set all your stuff up. Yeah. So in addition to like doing the mile and the two mile, I did the pole vault. No way. And I'm this buck 20 guy. And so the, the story, I mean, 
it was they'd start the bar i think the minimum bar was eight and a half feet or nine feet or something yeah. like that and that's the bar itself that's the bar to they get over to the over. bar okay, got it. somewhere between eight and nine feet yeah i could never get over the bar i was close because it's not like I had the strength to pull up and do yeah, all that. Wind. It was like, run, 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 use my speed, plant the pole, go and try and get over. I got over the bar twice. Twice. And the whole place erupted when I got over the bar. And one of the things they did at one point, they're like, you know what? Your pole, you can't flex the pole. It's not flexing. You're not getting any flex out of the pole. Yeah. They actually had an old crossbar that I used as a pole. Are you kidding me? I swear to God. Why? Because you were too light? <laughs> I was so light, and I could get flex out of the crossbar. <laughs> so I pole vaulted with a crossbar. And where's the crossbar from? The, the thing you jump over? Are you No way. <laughs> so that's what they had that to was, use? So for what? I was getting flex out of it, and it was working. It worked. So I pole vaulted with a crossbar. And did you ever, did you compete like in a meet and anything? Oh, I've competed in all the meets. <laughs> I never barely, I, you know, I only made it over twice, <laughs> Total, but, even with but the, I made it over and people were like banner made it over. Yeah. Even with the crossbar. Yeah. And it was the crossbar where you made it over. I think so. Oh my I gosh. think so. But it was, that, that was my, that was my, that was my sport years. That's your big, big sport. <laughs> that was my big sport. I, I was a runner, you know, running was. And you love running. Thing. I loved, it was really good for me in college too. Yeah. Cause it's like, you know, how do you really stress? And it's like, mm. and I went to, I went to college up in Oregon, Oregon state. And it's just like, it'd be pouring down rain and I don't care. I go out and I just run. And so uh, did you, so did you get, uh, like recruited for running or did you just, no, I, I wasn't that good. Okay. I was, I was the number, you know, we had some really good runners in yeah. high school on our team. I was like always number four. Okay. And it was still good. It was good, but it was nothing. I mean, yeah. we, we, we'd always win division. We'd go to state, all that, but we had some really good people. And was system. it, did you say it was uh cross country or just that? I did. The... I did cross country and track and we, both of them, we were, we were the team. Wow. Uh, so. And on the track, was, was it the one mile? Then the... I did. I, some two mile, yeah. some mile, some 880. So, all, so all when did you realize that you, the short distance wasn't your thing? So, uh, I, I just actually after after high school I yeah. didn't run. I mean, I'd go run for fun, but I didn't run anymore. Like like uh, instead of doing the hundred meter, two hundred meter, how did you how'd you lock in with the mile? Uh, the two mile. I'm tall, skinny, mm. thin kid. You know, I I big strides. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I was okay. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was you know it was great during high school. It got me. And but I was I was that. I was just, I'll say I was a nobody in high school. I was the quiet kid. I'd go to occasional dances. I didn't date much. I was just, you know, was that, I won't say the nerdy. I wasn't nerdy, but I was just a shy kid. You know, my brothers were like the football players and the basketball players. Yeah, because the, they were huge, right? Yeah, they, they were, and, and even one of my other brothers, who he's only 6'2", but he was he was the football player. He's he's Batman right now, by the way. Uh, he's uh, He has a bat, he's built four batmobiles are so. you serious oh yeah i'm serious up in valley center he is warner brothers found him and actually did a story are you called real me? life superheroes and he i've oh, got oh, a guy locally here that would want to meet him probably we this the story the stories he has the things we used to do so he used to raise and, and not to get off topic yeah. but he raised uh exotic animals because of his the family he married into uh, his wife's 
his wife's dad used to raise he was a doctor an incredible person but on the side he invested in ostriches emus all kinds wow. of african exotics yeah and they had all those in escondido and he had his own little mini wild animal park and this all is the your time, brother yeah well my brother would eventually ended up running all this stuff and managing it and every weekend you're going oh we got to move the camels or we got to do this and i'd get calls all the time it's like greg i need help what's up I got to move the camels. Can you come help me move the camels? The camels. Oh, dude, really? And I can still remember with a couple of my brothers, and one of my brothers was working with him, helping out, because he does, he runs a ranch and is in, into animals and all that. But this is pre those days. It's like, we got a lasso. Can you, we got to lasso the baby. And I'm running around chasing a camel, a baby camel down, and I get the lasso on, and next thing you know, I'm in drug, and my other brother jumps on me, and... We used to oh the the things oh with these God. these animals it's were unbelievable and it, yeah it was I mean it, it was crazy it's it, it was fun yeah uh, and and we have that those are there's crazy stories about the animals but and uh, and this is uh, this was an Escondido yeah and it's still, it's still going on or no? no 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 they well actually they still they moved all the animals one of the one of their one of the kids in their family actually has a ranch up in Northern California he's took most of the animals up there eventually and and your bro uh, brother's the one that you're saying was the, the 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 batman oh he is he is batman now he he's is got, batman he is batman he's everyone knows him everyone knows him <laughs> up in the valley center area he does corporate things he does shows all kind he's got he's built several batmobiles uh i mean i gotta introduce uh, them somebody someone someone we know from the church used who got married recently and he said i the guy's a batman fanatic he's like greg would you you think your brother would let me use the batmobile for our wedding no. to like drive in and and i talked to him and and actually i had to laugh because he's like i'm like i doubt it i said you could probably park it there or something because yeah he's only let a couple people drive it and uh and he they worked it out he's like yeah i'll let you do it i mean he got to drive it like 100 yards or whatever yeah. but uh uh but we, I, we brought it we were at the wedding so. i gotta see these pictures so, of these uh, things oh yeah it's he's They're done insane he's done some cool things yeah it's funny you see him driving on the road he's like whoa <laughs> that's just a batmobile <laughs> so he actually drives it all over town yeah yeah oh he takes it up he gets what, what, is, what does his wife think of this uh she used to like, be, really? she would be introduced as I'm Batman's wife. Are you serious? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and whole, how old he's is he? always been, I mean, I'll, I'll have to show you the news has done stories oh on him. Larry Himmel used to do stories. on. It's like the ostrich guy. Larry Himmel. Yeah. Larry Himmel did an, did a thing once showed up at his, this was pre Batman days and showed up and he was to have the ostriches and they fried up an ostrich egg right there on camera. It, it, uh, one ostrich egg makes about is equivalent to about 12 eggs. Yeah. And they fried one up for Larry oh on a camera and, uh, Oh yeah. my gosh. So, so you said you, uh, dad transferred down here. Mm -hmm. And so then what did you, did you go to high school here? I went then? to high school here. You did. Yeah. Where'd you go to high school? Yeah. Uh, Sam squall. Okay. Up in Escondido. And so high school, you didn't play, um, soccer, you didn't really, you, you ran a little bit, you said. I tried, I played a little couple of years of soccer in high school, yeah. but running was my main thing. Uh, and, and then, uh, the and band then, thing only lasted one year. What, it was, that's it. <laughs> Mainly because I got into the sports stuff. Oh, that's cool. That, that's why. Yeah. Uh, but there was band camp, the whole, you know, run people's underwear up the flagpole, just like Are you, you see in the movies. Oh, it was, you see those movies and that's band camp. 
and I, I think back and it's like, God, that was really stupid. But it's, but it was, I couldn't believe it. I went to band camp for four so days. So what, 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 uh, what instrument did you play? A trumpet. The trumpet. But when I was little, like, I don't know, maybe six, seven years old or whatever, my neighbor started playing the accordion. I'm like, I want to play the accordion. So my parents like rent me an accordion for a while. I played the accordion. Oh my god! I know. I think back. It's like <laughs> my son's just like, oh, that's so lame. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it was. totally is. <laughs> it was. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right. So you're down here, uh, high school, then college. You said you went to was it Oregon? Oregon State. Oregon State. Yeah. And though, so what? What started happening in uh, college? Did college, you start- I just exploded. I mean, I found. I thought I wanted to be an oceanographer. An ocean which, is, which is why I went to Oregon State because they've yeah. got a great next to like UCSD or something. They have their own ships and all yeah. that. And after about a year in that program, I realized there were. It, it, this was back in the eighties. It's like there's people with PhDs that couldn't even get a job, which is why I fa- changed to finance. And I'm like, you know what? I'd always. I had how long? How long into that did you decide uh, to make I the just, switch? After a year. After a year. And it was just, I, finance was a natural for me. So I had a, a, a grandpa that got me into stocks. So yeah. I actually had a stock account when I was probably 12 or 13 years no old. No kidding. And, you know, I probably had 300 bucks in it or something. Yeah. He got me into my first stock, which I think eventually went bankrupt, but it was, you know, a little $2 <laughs> stock or something. Yeah. It was Z and Z fashions. <laughs> That's what it was. You That's remember the stock? I remember it. <laughs> it never did anything, you know. But you had something. But but what it did is it trained me to save money because I would save. I and I also started collecting coins. He had he had coin and stamp collections, and I was like, this is really cool. And I would like buy, you know, from the U.S. Mint. You can buy like mint like uh, proof sets and all that. I used to buy all these proof sets every year. It's like, oh, I got to get the proof set of those yeah. silver dollars and all that stuff. But the stocks forced me to start saving money mm. because it's like, okay, the stock, it was back in those days, there's no internet. You open up the paper every day and right. you look at the stocks. It's like, oh, okay, here's my stock and here's what. Isn't and, that crazy? Then? And I would start putting money away. It's like, I'd have a choice, you know, as I'd make money, it's like, okay, I want to put some in my stock account. And, and it forced me to learn, you know, I go to high school and I was like, yeah, I got a stock account, stock account. You just have to place a phone call to the broker and, you know, buy a hundred shares of that. And the commission was like $40 or something like that <laughs> to buy 200, you know, to buy two or $300 worth wow. of stock. It was just, uh, insane. Different times. Isn't it crazy that, that what we grew what we grew up in the era and now on, like I've got it on my computer all day. Like I'd like sit there and I get notifications when it's moved five yeah. percent, right? Yeah, isn't it crazy? Yeah. Oh, and you can real time just click, click. You know, I'm gonna buy a little bit more Ethereum or whatever. Yeah. Oh, it, it's you, everyone takes it for granted. Oh, like, absolutely. It was just never, you know, it's your paper, the paper, and you'd read the paper for research. So when I started in in finance, when I started in the industry, you know, there was Morningstar and there was. Uh, value line i think it was we'd have these books that were like six inches thick and they every month you'd get updates and you just pull the old ones out put the new ones it's the reports that was the only way you did research that's crazy or you'd go to the library or you'd pull 10k it's just there was no digital anything you'd have to go either call them and say send me a corporate report 
or all these filings that happen, you'd have to call and request them. Uh, or that's what those those books did is they summarized a lot of that stuff for you. That that's how we did research. That's Isn't how we that did crazy? everything. Isn't that crazy? And you wouldn't even know where the stock was unless you made a phone call. No idea. You know, you'd uh, you'd watch TV and you'd see the tickers. Yes, that yeah. was it. And I'd sit there. Oh, okay. Or if I was in the office, you'd have the little Quotron and stuff. But just different, very different times. Wow. Uh, and so then you so you branched off after the first year into finance. So got into finance. I just call it college for me was about. So I was in the dorms my first year. Yeah. That's where I got into flying. So and photography because those are two big parts of my life. Yep. Uh, uh, and in my freshman year, I met a guy who was from Alaska and he had his pilot's license. And he was actually a bush pilot would deliver mail up there by plane. But he was only what's called VFR, visual flight rules. He wasn't instrument rated or anything, but he'd fly and do that. And Oregon State had a phenomenal flying club. Had like 30 airplanes, dirt cheap to rent, a, rent an airplane. Uh, and he was building hours. He was in school, but at the same time, he was building hours to get his instrument and thinking about being a pilot. And he's doing that. And all the time, he's like, hey, Greg, you want to go fly? Sure. I mean, we'd fly probably three or four days a week because wow. he's just had to build hours and we'd go fly all over the Northwest. It's go fly around. And you're like 19 or 20 at this point. I was, I was young. I was, I was always like a year behind people. Yeah. You know, when everyone else was 18, I was 17 or 19, Got I was it. 18 and we'd fly all over the Northwest and do some cool. And I had just, my dad had won a camera, 35 millimeter basic Canon camera you know, film days and all that. And I, he didn't want it. He's like, here, take it to school. And I'd never even used it, but I started taking pictures with it, all these aerial stuff. It's like, this is cool. I get to fly and take pictures. And that got me into both. Uh, and eventually he became, he dropped out of school as a student, but he continued his flying stuff. And he went, worked, was working all the way up to become an instructor at wow. the flying club there. And I'd still fly with him all the time. He'd go sure want to fly and the things we would do to an airplane oh my gosh we'd go up there and it's like we'd maybe do a longer flight up to seattle or somewhere like that it's like here you fly a while or whatever and this is before i was before i was a pilot so we'd allow you to fly the plane. oh yeah i mean it's we were in cessnas planes are easy to fly yeah the whole thing with planes for the most part it's preparation for an emergency how do you handle if something goes wrong because you have to act and not think you don't have time to think you in many cases you just have to know instinctively what to do that's what the main part of getting your license and flying is yeah. understanding if the plane does this here's how you have to react and because the flying part's easy flying's easy you got a couple of pedals and your yoke and your power and flaps and and, and it's you know as you get into other types of planes yeah there's more controls and and all that type of stuff but the flying is easy uh, but we'd sit there and we'd have fights on the controls. Or if someone starts dozing off, what do you do? You throw the plane into a nosedive. Or, or we'd sit there and say, let's see what this thing can do. You do things called wing overs and you pull the plane up there where you try and get it up till it starts stalling and try and pull the wing over oh and then God. put it into a spin. I mean, we'd be up there just, I, and obviously we look and you're in the Northwest and this was 30, 40 years ago. So there wasn't a lot of air traffic either. Right. So it's not like there's planes all over. It's nothing like down flying down here. And, you know, we 
looking around, be- making sure before we do this, but you'd be flying all of a sudden, and it's just like, and you just grab the stick. If, especially if someone starts dozing off, it's just like. <laughs> did you ever come, like, like, did it ever get hairy, like when you're doing your wing over or something? It's like, oh, man, that was close. Oh, no. I mean, we're up at three, four, 5,000 feet when we're doing this. I mean, it, nothing. Those planes, uh, they fly really well, and they, they're easy to, you know, you get into a spin. It's just like naturally. It's like right rudder and put, you know, get your speed up. Yeah, and naturally. Fly. It's just, but we did have some, we had actually a really cool story. Did you get caught in like had, a, a storm or anything? So we had our, our one, someone, someone came into the flying club and uh, stole a bunch of the nav equipment out of a whole bunch of the planes. And this was, I don't know, I think this was probably my sophomore, a couple of years into this. They call, they call Scott and I up, and they're like, hey, we need someone to fly down to Reno. The ins- that's where the insurance company said to go fix, to go put new nav equipment in the plane. So they had some temporary nav equipment in there for us to get down there. They're like, we'll pay for everything. It's like, okay, you're paying for us to fly to Reno? Yeah, we're in. <laughs> and they're like, we fly down on like a Friday, Friday afternoon or something, and they needed like two days, and Sunday was to fly back. So we go down there, have a great time. And Sunday, <clears throat> we're looking at the re- weather, and there's no cell phones. There's no right. internet. Yeah. You have, the weather was, you call a number, and you check, <laughs> and it's like, here's where there's, there's you know, a front moving up this way and another front that way. And we're like, okay, it's st- supposed to start snowing in the afternoon. we got to get out of here. So got the plane ready. We're getting, we're like, just flying out, heading back. And we were still, this is before... He was instrument rated, and it was still visual flight rules. And we're like, we're getting out of here just in time. It was probably 3, 4 in the afternoon. And we're like, no problem. It'll take us about an hour to get to get home. Just beat a storm coming out. And we're going, and we're in Northern California over this area called Ravendale. And the northeast corner of high desert, there's nothing out there. And all of a sudden, there was another storm that moved in faster than it was supposed to. And we're like, oh, boy, this is, a, this is not good. And we were in what's called a Mooney. It's a four-seater retractable gear plane. Really, really nice, nice plane. They're, yeah. called, they're known as doctor killers because doctors always forget to put, they own them, always forget to put the gear down and land gear up. What? And, oh, yeah. It's just, it's, you, every, whenever you fly, you use a checklist, always. Yeah. doesn't matter if you've been doing it five years or 30 years, you always go through the checklist. And people always, after flying a long time, it's like, I don't need the checklist. I do. It's just habit. And they always forget to put the gear down often. Uh, Needless to say, back to the story here. So we're going, try and go over this storm. Can't get over it. Can't get under. We're trying. I, I remember there's some highways where the mountains are like that. And we're like, I know there were cars looking in their rearview mirrors seeing an airplane. <laughs> and we're trying to get through under the clouds. Couldn't get through. So we're like, okay, we're going to have to go back. So we turn around and start going back. Well, the storm behind us had pushed up. And we're like, we're going to have to find a place to land. And we're looking. I'm looking at maps. I'm like, God, I don't see anything. There's nothing. So we're like, we're going to have to put this down somewhere because it was getting dark. And we go down and we see a highway and do a low pass, make sure there's no telephone poles and signs and all that. It's like, okay, we, this looks good here. So we land the plane on the highway. There's this little building we see. It turns out the whole town of Rain, Ravendale, I guess, had burnt down years before, but there was like a little mo- like four-room four motel there. 
So we land on the highway and we taxi and into the parking lot of the motel <laughs> and turn the plane off. Guy comes out. He's like, what the hell? He's like, you know, there's an airport right there. Well, there was a dirt strip yeah. and it didn't show up on the map and it was too dark for us to see. And we're like, oh, okay. Well, okay. So we'll go move the plane. And, and so we hop back in the plane and start taxiing down and we taxi taxi on the highway and i happen to look back i don't know so i had this feeling and i start laughing and scott is his name he, he's like what i'm like dude you're not gonna believe this turn back there's like eight police cars oh behind God. us lights going off i'm like we're getting pulled over we're good <laughs> and we could have kept going and just take it but so we're laughing about this and we were like boy this is quite a story it's turning into and shut the plane down get out and these guys have like guns drawn and they're like on the ground and i guess there's a lot of drug running in the ah. and that strip it's used by hunters yeah and by drug people wow so they thought and they literally searched the whole plane we told them well, they're like okay and by then it was dark so how old were you at this at, point uh maybe 19, 19 or something like that and your buddy was too uh, right yeah yeah oh my gosh and we go and they're like, oh, okay, so they put some police cars on each end of this dirt strip so we could at least see where it was, and we took off and put the plane there. And the, and the guy we were going to stay in the motel, he's like, you know, there have been some airplanes stolen out there. I was like, oh, jeez. We're like, we better sleep in the plane. So we sleep in the plane. Are you serious? It's like four inches of snow that night. What? We get a, Next morning, I just froze our butts off. Get up at probably five in the morning as soon as it was, as it was light, get the engine manual out, scrape the snow off the wings. And we're off and we're in class by 8 a.m. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was that was our plane. That was our, our crazy plane story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's incredible. And in the, in these days, if you landed on a highway, you, you'd probably have the FAA doing all oh, kinds of it was, it be was all, not, you'd, There'd you'd be, be reports viral. everywhere. And yeah. It was, and there's no phones or anything. It you'd was be just viral like, on social yeah. media, be on every media station. Yeah. So, oh, my gosh. But that was my flying thing. Yeah. And that tied into photography. And... I got into, I was like, wow, this photography thing's fun. So I actually joined the yearbook and as a photographer. And it this is in cool. college, right? This is in college because as a yearbook photographer, you have access to photo passes for everything. Oh, yeah. And especially, yeah. So eventually I was, I was photo editor, you know, I was, was assistant photo editor, one year photo editor and everything. And we had a phenomenal, I mean, I had as photo editor, I want to say I had about a $125,000 budget. Wow. You know, a kid in college yeah. for photography stuff. And it's, I had a staff, I think I had six or seven photographers and it, it was a business no and kidding. it was, had a full on studio all. And every year they're like, you need to spend this money or we won't get that much the next year. I mean, I had Hasselblad cameras. I had three or four Hasselblads. I had all the lenses. I had, you know, every, this is film days. I had and a full on studio. How did you studio. learn everything about cameras at this point? Uh, did you just, just self-taught? I, I took a couple photo classes, and but it was mostly self-taught. And, and working in the yearbook, you know, you're talking to other people and, and you see you see other strategies, how people are doing stuff. But it got me into football games. It got me in. I mean, I shot a presidential debate. If there was concerts, there'd be big concerts coming to school. And it's in the last few years when I was assistant and head photo editor, I decide who shoots what. Wow. And it's, so I really got into sports photography, but I, I shot everything and I actually paid for part of my college because I also in college got into a fraternity. That was a big thing for me. Yeah. And, and in Oregon, 
It was Animal House, kind of. Yeah. I mean, Oregon well, is where the original Animal House it is. is. Yeah, University of Oregon is where right. I went to Oregon State. But we had a huge Greek system, you know, there were probably 50, 60 different fraternities, sororities, all that. We had a house with 60 guys living in the house. And, oh, my gosh. And I was treasurer at one point and all, all <laughs> what, what, that. What year and, did you get into the fraternity? Uh, my sophomore year. So and, I, and, I was in college for five years because that first year slowed me down. Uh, it took me. College was great. I mean, I... I became <laughs> every, I, I just was a new person. It was just, and I love the photo stuff. It was just like, I, I knew everybody. And because I do all the photography stuff with the yearbook too, I knew all the, and I was treasurer of the fraternity. I knew all the treasurers. I was on a, on a board, basically a school board with all the fraternity executives. And we'd have regular meetings to talk about what's going on with the Greek system I was managing the money, all that. I had the photo editor stuff going on with photography, so I was doing all the shooting. I'd do all the, but I, I had it figured out because everyone wanted house pictures. And I'd do, for the yearbook, we had a great yearbook. I mean, it was like, I'm proud of what we put out, you know, that type, yeah. that thick. And this was pre-digital. It's like, you got to print the photos yeah, print and do the layout the and send everything. I had, no, we did all our own printing. I had a dark room. Yeah, like dark room, yeah. I had like eight enlargers. And the cool thing is, and most of this was black and white days, uh, some color stuff though, but I'd go do the house pictures for all the fraternities and sororities. And I knew all the treasurers and we'd do like house billing. And so I'd do the house picture and all creative stuff, fun pictures. I mean, sometimes they'd go do something on a golf course. It wasn't like stand in front of the house. A few of them did, but usually fun stuff. And then people wanted copies. And I'd be, okay, I'd do it. I'd print an eight by 10. I'd have a sign-up sheet and I'd print it and glue it to the thing and send it and they'd say, sign up. And, you know, I'd have 30 or 40 people say, I want an eight by 10 of that. And I'd charge 10 bucks an eight by 10. And I'd just get a check from the treasurer, one check. Yeah. And I'd deliver, here's your 40 prints. You deal with passing them out and all that. And it's like, you know, here's your $400, Greg. And I did that, you know, we had 50, 60 fraternities or sororities. So I'd do a lot of photo stuff that way. And I'd go in the dark room and I'd work all night for a few nights just cranking out. I got eight enlargers with different, and I'm just cranking out stuff. The old, you know, move it from this yeah, band to that yeah, band to that yeah, band. And with that smell. That's, that was how I paid for part of my, part of my college. Uh, but what it led to is, you know, I'd shoot all the football games. So I'd be down on the sidelines and whatever the sports were, basketball games. Uh, and that eventually led me into... After college, uh, I had I had a pretty good portfolio built up, yep. and I met one of the guys I'd previously gone to school with was uh, involved with a magazine called Sport Magazine. They were a monthly magazine, not around anymore. I started shooting on staff for them, uh, and what really ha I started I could get access to most sports, uh, just about anything. So all of a sudden, I went from shooting, you know college stuff to all of a sudden being able to get into NFL stuff. Wow. Starting to build my portfolio. And I remember shooting, I shot Marshall Falk with San Diego State. Yeah. I was one of the only people in the country. They didn't, San Diego State didn't play many day games. And I was one of the few people in the country that had shots of him during the day. And NFL was trying to find this because he was the number one draft pick at one point. They're like, we need these shots. And they found, tracked me down. And I'm like, yeah, I've got some. And I'm like, oh, by the way, I've can I send you a portfolio to look at? I'd love to shoot for you guys. They're like, yeah, you know, we've got our 20 to 30 guys that shoot across the country. We're good. 
But if you want to send a contact sheet, that's what you sent in yeah. those days because everything was Chrome slides. Right. And you'd print a contact sheet. And I sent it, and a couple weeks later, I get a call, and they're like, your stuff's pretty good. You know what? We do want you to shoot for us. Oh, that's great. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. I'm in. Uh, so I shot for 15 years. I shot for the NFL. No uh, kidding. Before they closed down, they used to have NFL photos. Before they kind of turned it all over. 15 to the years? Just on the weekends. Just on the weekends. So my, my weekends used to, used to be, wow. I'd and this is, I was single and didn't have a son at the time and all that for a lot of that, but it was, I'd hop on a plane Friday night, I'd find a great college game. It's like, okay, let me go up, I'll shoot Stanford Saturday and I'll shoot the Niners Sunday. So I'd shoot the college on Saturday, pro or, hey, I'm going to go to Denver, I'll shoot University of Colorado Saturday and the Broncos on Sunday or whatever. So I'd do that and I'd travel, all, mostly I'd stay you know, on the West Coast or Midwest, I just, it was a pain going East, yeah. mainly because I'm in the office on Monday. I got a, I have a real job, right. <laughs> you know, as, as a financial planner, I'm in the office. Oh, so the, at this Friday. point, you're already doing financial planning. I was always, I mean, right out of college, I, I got my securities license m months after I got out of college, uh, went right into that easy because I major, majored in finance and got right into the financial planning stuff, started with a wirehouse thinking I was going to conquer the world being a stock and bond trailer. Uh, and I'll talk more about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> but that just led, but on the weekends, I was off taking pictures, you know, golf tournaments, you know, when they used to play at Torrey Pines or out in Palm Springs or wherever, it's like, okay, I'm going to go shoot the, shoot the golf tournament this weekend or basketball. I used to, I used to go to LA and shoot the Lakers all the time. And been kicked in the head by magic johnson no uh, i used to shoot i used to shoot in the days you know back in the late 80s and 90s with kareem you right on the court Kareem. oh yeah you're sitting you sit hated basketball because i got a bony butt and yeah. you sit right on the floor oh man you're sitting there indian style which i hate yeah and you're like this and there's nowhere to go sometimes there's a row of photographers or people behind you and you know if the players are coming at you you're just like, oh, and a few times they, tr you know, sometimes they try and jump over you and you get a, uh, luckily I've never been clocked at a football game. I've had some really close calls at NFL games and I, cause I, people get taken out sometimes. And so what, uh, what would they, what would they pay? Can you give me an idea? Yeah, here? So I had a choice, like with NFL stuff, I, I had a choice to shoot for the NFL and they, in which case they pay for all my expenses, right. all my film processing, They'd pay for travel, any travel stuff hotel. and pay me a day rate of 500 bucks a day. Uh, or, or you pay for all your own expenses. You keep everything. It, you own everything. They have first rights. So after a game, I would go through, pick my best images. I'd send them 20 or 40 images. Uh, I'd usually have to FedEx them to New York because that's where their offices were. They'd keep what they'd usually keep what they wanted and send the rest back to me. And they'd keep them. I still own them and had the rights to them. But they did back in those days. First of all, you had to go if you wanted to have anything to do with the NFL, any shots for advertising or whatever. It had to go through the NFL, and they would split split fifty fifty. So whatever they made. So I was like, sometimes you you know stuff would show up all over in magazines or whatever, yep. and it's like cool. And I used to also shoot for baseball and football cards. So the, that was, and same thing, they'd pay 500 bucks a day to go shoot. And depending on whether you own the stuff, usually they wanted to own the stuff. Yeah. Uh, 
but it, it just depended on the company. So I, I shot a ton of that sometimes just to find, I had creden- I could always get credentials into anything through different, whether it's sport, whether it's different magazines and I've had stuff everywhere from sports illustrated to all the magazines. I did staff stuff for volleyball magazine. Uh, I used to love shooting the AVP back in the days when beach volleyball was sponsored by like Cuervo and it was a big thing. They'd do the king of the beach in Vegas. We'd take over the hard rock. They'd turn the whole area into a beach. Wow. And it was just epic. And I I loved volleyball because I I really got into beach volleyball playing uh, in my later after college and stuff. And the players are so nice and accessible. I mean, and I'd go, sometimes I'd travel to some tournaments for several days to shoot. And it's like, you knew all the players. And sometimes they're like, hey, Greg, come help me warm up or whatever, if I wasn't shooting, like in, before the tournament started or whatever, going to get in a pickup game with some of the guys and, and, and girls. And <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. I mean, talk about keeping you on your game. Oh, my uh, gosh. And then so go back to the NFL thing. I, I need... What, what, so you had the choice though they paid everything yeah, $500 so, day rate or what was or the other you'd, or you'd split 50-50 you'd send them the images yeah. and they how do would, you keep them from using an image without your no they it, it's no they have I mean you're it's printed on there whose it is okay I've got it would it would be imprinted in there yeah it's a, so they know and they're not trying to so then what were you being paid yeah. for stuff like that it just I'd get paid every month I'd get an invoice and it would show it would show this print would use I mean it's anywhere from once the internet came out, $25 for a shot on yeah, this or whatever, nothing. and that's nothing. Uh, pre, pre-2008, I mean, you'd get, you'd get, depending on how it got used, several thousand dollars for a cover shot. Uh, I remember doing, remember the little, you'd go walk into 7-Eleven and there'd be a program that the Coors Light or Budweiser or whatever, they'd have a program, season yeah. program, and it was like that big. I remember I had a cover shot of Marshall Falk on there with rams and i think i got a i think i got a check for like eight thousand dollars or something for yeah. like that I'm wow like, that's cool and would and your about, name be on the picture too photo uh, like would you get yeah, the photo it, credit there'd be credit in there yeah and i remember about two months later i get another eight thousand dollar check and i call them up and i'm like i think you guys screwed up because it said it said no they they did a rerun they ran out and they did another wow. run of them so you got paid again i'm like sweet <laughs> Uh, and this was every weekend, more or less. Just about every week during football years. season. I was, you know, baseball season. I'm I'm not a baseball person, but there was one season I think I shot every home Padre game. Wow! And it was one of the earlier years when I was just starting to shoot baseball. The problem is in those days with film, most of the baseball games are at night, mm. and you couldn't. The quality of film in those days and the quality of the shots. I mean, it's, unless it was some kind of epic shot. It wouldn't run anywhere because it just Got wasn't it. good enough quality to run in a magazine in print. Uh, so the most day, of the day shots, day games, which were Thursdays and Sundays. So I'd shoot day, I'd shoot always shoot Sunday games. But it was it was actually the one thing that was cool about baseball is I'd usually get I'd shoot a lot of Qualcomm games. Yeah, and go down to Qualcomm, be there a couple hours early before people are in or anything. You're just sitting down in the dugout watching. There were cool things. I mean, sometimes I remember some of the players that come out some of the pitchers that were golfers and they'd start teeing up golf balls on home plate, hitting them into the upper decks of Qualcomm stadium. And it was just like, I'd, I remember sitting there going, this is kind of cool. It's yeah. like, you know, here's two or three guys and me. Yeah. And I'm just watching them I do that. that. And back in Tony Gwendes, yes. you know, sometimes Tony would come out and just sit there. And I, I remember having some just 
long conversations with Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn. Just so. sitting on the bench, you know, before the game, hours before anyone's out and before they're warming up or things. Uh, wow. And, and, just, and by the way, yesterday, literally yesterday, I was with Tony Gwynn's uh, grandson. I coach him in football. That's cool. He's on that's my football. Cool. Literally yesterday. I got a picture that I put up on my Instagram last night with Tony, my son and Tony Gwynn the third. Okay. That's that cool? awesome. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's just, I just, I, I mean, those were things like that were just, I think back and it's like, that was really special. And the players used to mess with you because in Qualcomm, you'd be sitting on the bench and there was this gap behind gap under the wall. And sometimes some of the players would be, Hey, Greg, come here. I want to talk to you or whatever. And you'd like sit down and they were trying to mess with you. Cause there'd be another player underneath behind, like trying to set your shoes on fire or something <laughs> like that. And it's just sky ah, or, or it's like, nah, nah, I'm not going to, I know what you, I know what you're up to. Uh, but there were, I mean, there were cool things like that. I got to do a really cool thing with, uh, one of the sport magazine actually had me hired me to do a feature, uh, with Bo Jackson Oh wow! and the blue angels. And this is ties into the flying stuff. Yeah. Cause after, after college, I didn't fly much. I came back down here and it got, it was too, you know, too expensive. And it was just, it's crazy down here relative to up there in terms of the number of planes and all the. I'll say the chaos. And I'm like, you know, I'm a 19, 20 year old kid. It's like, I don't know what the heck. I mean, it's just, I'm like, this is dangerous. Yeah. And, and cost and everything. I didn't fly that much. Uh, I'm like, kind of, I'm done. And you never lose your license. You just have to, you basically have to pass a medical every couple of years and just stay current. So if I wanted to, if I wanted to get my license current i'd probably have to go through seven or eight hours of training because it's it. been so long since i've officially gone through all that stuff yeah. uh but the flying stuff so i got sent out to uh el centro which is where the blue angels train in the off season so i spent three or four days with bo jackson and with the blue angels because they took him up they they take up like one celebrity person a day and the day before him, he was supposed to go up, uh, they were taking up a guy, the guy that used to play Al on the show, Tool Time. With, oh, uh, yeah. With, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was supposed to go up. And I knew a bunch of, t this is back in the Top Gun days, at Miramar with F-14s, right. all that stuff. And I knew several pilots, Top Gun pilot guys that were friends. And they found out I'm going there and they're, they're putting, they knew all the blue angel guys they are calling. They're like, you got to get Greg up. You got to get him up. I mean, that's like a bucket list thing. Oh yeah. To be for me, it was like, oh my gosh, that'd be a dream to go up in a blue angel or to go up in a fire jet. And that Al guy, his agent called and said, nah, he decided he doesn't want to come up and he's, he's canceled. And the, the head of the blue angels comes and cause we were out there. He's like, Greg, you're going up tomorrow. Just like, ah! oh my I mean, gosh. it was like bucket list. You me. can't dream that stuff. Up. No. And cause they had an opening and turns out the guy, the next morning, his agent calls back. No, he decided to come after all. Oh, he's going to show up. It showed up. So I didn't get to go up, oh, no. but it was still, I spent three days with Bo Jackson yeah. and the blue angels. You know, we went to a movie one night and just, just hanging out. I was, and it cool, was super just, cool guy. Uh, yeah, just 
low key and and they took him up in the plane and they put him through their whole routine because you know they wanted to make him oh yeah turn green and and he got out of that plane and i i think i, I still have the pictures of him like kissing the ground it's like <sighs> okay i got all the respect in the world for you guys yeah and but that was that was a, a just a cool cool story and so yeah. just cool stuff like yeah. i i got to go up and spend do some draft day stuff uh with different players, uh, like for draft picks, where I spent the whole day with the family for at their house with family, waiting for the call, uh, stuff, oh, that's stuff great. like that. Oh, but, that's great. Yeah, so photo- photography was good, and then that eventually led into the flying photography, which we talk about later. So flying photography, and then uh, so so talking about the financial thing, you were still doing this full time. So financial planning. Financial for me is I I got in in. My first day on the job was Black Monday, 1987. Are you kidding me? I don't even know what that is. I but do. It's where the market, the, the Dow lost a quarter of its value in one day. And because of that day, all kinds of new measures were put in place. And I can still Your remember first day. my first day in the office when I was licensed, everything ready to go was Black Monday. And all this chaos is going on. They're like, it's not like this regularly. And Thank God I didn't have any clients at the time. Right. <laughs> but that was my first day in, in jo- on the job in 1987. Uh, and so for, for about five years, I would go in, do the trading. I was, it's brokerage type stuff, trading stocks and bonds and cold calling people and all that. I was just, this, it's not, this isn't what I wanted to do. And I actually found my current partner, uh, John Jenkins at Asset Preservation Strategies. I joined him. I said, I want to be a financial planner. I don't want to be a trader. And joined his firm, got my tax license, got my CFP, CLU, all kinds of other licenses. Because, And I started as a paraplanner, doing financial plans, sitting in meetings. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. It's like, it's the planning stuff. That's, yeah. what, that's what was exciting. And that's what got my juice going. Uh, so I've been doing that for 35 years now. 35 and, years. And, and you're still with this the, the partner. I'm still with him, and we have a, a third partner too. And it's, I've we've yeah, it's just it's amazing. Uh, so same, and, and same so, uh, and how did you meet him originally? I uh, just he hired me. I I remember I remember he ran an ad for an repair planner, and I thought you know what I need to go take a back seat. He was my mentor. Uh, wow! And just see what he's how doing. He understand. Now? Uh, he's in his seventies and no he's kidding. still working. He works yeah. a couple days a week and, uh, wow. uh, he loves what he's doing. And too. it's your company. Like you guys I own it. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's three of us are partners. Uh, and, and so get into it a little bit here. Like as far as your, that business, like what you exactly you guys do. So my, well, I went through a phase and in, I actually got burned out on the trading stuff. So for years we did tax returns. We did everything and it's, I love taxes. Yeah. And I love taxes. And we did tax returns for years until, and the best thing we ever did was sell in our tax practice. Probably 10 years. I did that for probably 10 years. I was still doing financial planning with clients because we thought at the time we had an attorney on staff. We had a CPA. We had several of us did taxes. And it was like we wanted to do everything for our clients, have the one-stop shop. But what we learned over time is, first first of all, taxes. We never made money doing that. It was just a, a lost leader to get people ah, in to, to help with their finances. But it shut us down for three or four months a year. It was like all the focus was on right. taxes and not on all the other stuff. And 
it's what we learn, and this is before I was really networking or doing that type of stuff, is I want to work with other people. And CP, I work with a lot of different CPAs, attorneys, and everything, and I don't want to compete with them. Yeah. And I stay tax licensed now just for the information, but I don't do returns anymore. Uh, and I teach CPAs different strategies, and I, I love to teach, uh, which, is a, which is another thing. But probably in the, probably about 10 years into it, 10 or 15 years into it, I started learning. I found this thing, this group called, that did something called exit planning for business owners. And I saw this guy speak, and it blew my mind. I'm like, this is really interesting. There's no one, there's all these business owners out there, and no one's helping them. Right. It's usually their CPA was, is their key advisor. Exactly. But, but even that's limited. And a lot of the CPAs are what I call scorekeepers. They just, hey, bring me your shoebox, and I'll tell you what you owe at the end of the year. They don't help plan. And it was really, I was like, okay, I learned this thing about this, this group. I was, the uh, organization I was with taught exit planning. Here's strategies for businesses to exit their business for owners. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the next revolution. This was 20 years ago. Yeah. And, and now in the last 10 years or so, you know, every broker's like, oh, I got to work with businesses and I got to focus on exit planning, you know. Insurance people, their idea of exit planning was always, oh, we'll buy an insurance policy or buy, sell, or something like that. But I'm talking about planning for your business, planning for an exit. And I saw this, and I'm like, this is really cool. And I started working. I had some business owners I was working with. And in the early 2000s, I had my first business owner have a huge exit where you know, I'd worked with him from four employees up to 500. He had wow. a public company buy him out. Uh, and had in excess of a $50 million sale, which at the time we thought was big. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I was just like, this is amazing. And then turn to the financing, because back then it's like, okay, what most financial planners is, they don't care about the business stuff. It's kind of like, you do whatever you do, make the money, and then I'll tell you how to invest. Right. It. So that's in those days, my idea of financial planning with these business owners is, okay, you're going to have this big sale, and then I'll, man, I'll put your money in stocks and bonds and make you 4 or 5% and you'll live happily ever after. Well, my comment to that is BS. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I learned that because after helping several business owners sell over the years, it's like, oh, Greg, here's $10 million to invest or whatever. And I'd put it in. I'd build the fancy portfolio as they teach you as a financial planner. And next thing you know, a year later, all that money's gone. Where'd it go? The business owners took it out to buy real estate and private equity. Mm. And and they'd come back and they're like, Greg, we love the advice you're giving. You're giving all this great advice on our planning and all this other stuff, but I'm not interested in stocks and bonds. And so what I've found over the years is entrepreneurs, and it, it, it's one thing if someone's mm. got a million or two million dollars, yeah. you know, you're limited in what you can invest in. But the high net worth individuals and entrepreneurs, what I found is they've got, you know, they're not interested. They're, they understand concentrated risk. When you have a business, they've got everything tied up into that business. And they also understand tangible assets, things that they can tr control, like real estate. Or And when I say private equity, many times I'm talking about when they sell their business, their former competitors are now their best friends. Yes. And it's like, hey, I, congratulations on your sale. Come join my company. Take a board seat. Make an investment. Do whatever You've got the contacts. This is your way to keep active in the community. And with entrepreneurs, 
they always need to be going. Oh yeah. And it's a great, and that's how a lot of my clients get their equity. You know, every, it's like, okay, I now I've got these investments in all these different companies and, you know, I put a half million in this or whatever. And every few years it's like, oh, I just sold that one. I got 10 million from that or whatever. That's how they get their equity. Yeah. They don't want to play this roller coaster market with the, with stocks and bonds. And, and while they may have some of that, I've got a lot of clients that have none of that. It's right. all, it's all alternatives. And, and that's, you know, for me, I'm product agnostic. I don't care what a person invests in because I don't have most financial planners. It's about, they have a box. Yep. It's like, I can give you stocks or bonds or some hedge funds or something like that. And that's all I can give you. Cause that's who the reg, that's who my broker dealer or whoever, that's what they tell me. And I, I actually got rid of my securities license several years ago because the regulators were trying to tell me what was appropriate for my clients. Uh. And their idea of appropriate has to do with the person who's got a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars, not who's got ten million or twenty million or a hundred million dollars. They, you know, it's yeah. I, I'm dealing with sophisticated investors and people in, in most cases who have teams of people who have can do the due diligence, who have the expertise, and for you know for the regulars to say oh well you shouldn't have more than your more than you know 15% of your portfolio in real estate or something like that i just i just laugh at yeah uh so part of this gets back to though just the bigger picture of how people do uh, business owners their mentality how they invest how and that's what really got me into i i really got into real estate because mm. I got to the point where my clients were like, look, these are the things I want to do. Figure out a way to do this. So I actually started building relationships directly with developers because I was like, okay, and, and I get it now. Things clicked. It's like after going through, you know, in 35 years, I've been through a lot of ups and downs. Oh, yeah. And I also got to the point where it's like, I'm tired of this roller coaster in the stock market. And, and, and don't get me wrong. We have a lot of clients and a lot of money in the traditional investments. Right. We also have a lot of clients in real estate and building. That's one of the things I do is build passive real estate portfolios for clients. And and some of them are more active where people actually want, hey, they want help finding a developer, want to build something, a 1031 exchange or something like that. But real estate is a tangible asset that people understand. And I'm big on, hey, if we're buying a single property or a, a multifamily property and not doing a lot in California, honestly. Uh, yeah. Doing a lot of stuff in other parts of the country that are more landlord friendly, more tax friendly, uh, all of that type of stuff. But it's it's really important to just understand what the client's needs are. Are we doing this for income? Are we doing it for growth? A combination of both. With inflation going on, all the chaos now, real estate's still a great place to be. Now, yeah. everyone's like, there's a lot of people, it's like, well, real estate... You know, a lot of financial planners are like, oh, why would you invest in real estate now? You know, we're in a bubble or whatever. I just laugh at that because it's like, well, what kind of real estate? Where are you talking about? There's always opportunities. Yeah. Like with anything, there's always opportunities. And there's times to be in, there'll be times to be in stocks and bonds again also. Uh, there's, you know, like any asset, there's different times to be in it. Uh, but that's that's kind of the path I've gone down with a lot of clients. They're like, they get their private equity usually from buying into companies and things they're familiar with. 
uh, and building a portfolio, that's, that's kind of their growth and their equity. And their income usually comes from real estate in a lot of cases because real estate also has all the tax advantages mm. with it. You've got depreciation, you've got cost segregations, these things you can do to accelerate depreciation. You've got 1031 tax-free exchanges. Explain what that is, the uh, 1031. A, a 1031 is just taking, if it's an investment property, not your home, if it's your home and you turn converted it into an investment property, then 1031 is just a tax-free exchange where you bought something, a property for this, it's now worth that. You can do a tax-free exchange into a like-kind property. Could be a piece of land, could be another, but it has to be a, another piece of real estate. And there's several rules on t- the timing as is that to, transferring over the 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 equity of the. You've got you've got to transfer. You've got to buy a property of at least the same value or mm. properties. You could have multiple properties, and there's different rules on that. And if you have a mortgage, you've got to have at least the same amount of debt on the property in order to do a full tax-free exchange. So one of the things these, you know, they, it's called swap till you drop. That's where, you, and yeah. it's one of the reasons the government's trying to, has talked about getting rid of these because there's people that have had 10 properties and you just keep swapping into other properties. Every time you swap into a new, new property, you're restarting depreciation. You've got new basis. You're, you're still, you've got a low basis. If you ever sold it, you've got to recapture all those gains from the past. Yeah. But people just continue to swap till they drop. And what I say by drop is when you pass away, depending on how things are held and title and everything like that, you get a step up in basis. Depreciation resets. You don't have to recapture depreciation. So if you had, you know, let's say you started with a $50,000 house and, you know, over the last 10 years, it's now worth a million and you passed away, if everything's set up properly, your, ba- your basis is now a million when you passed away and your beneficiaries don't owe any taxes on ah. the property. And if they just decided they wanted to rent it out, they could rent it out and start depreciation all over. Uh, so that's, there's, there's... And then on the 1031 thing, so basically to the, the tax shelter of it, Mm-hmm. Where, because normally you'd have to pay like capitals gains taxes, like if you sell it, right? Is that what you're saying? If you, if you so sell you it, rolling you've it over. To, yeah. If you just sold it, yeah, you've got to pay capital gains long or short term on the gains, but you also have to recapture depreciation. Right mm-hmm. now, is at a twenty five percent rate. So you've been depreciating. So one of the advantages of real estate is the income you get from it is usually sheltered by depreciation for many years. So if you get $1,000 a month, usually you've got enough depreciation in the early years, especially where you don't pay tax on that $1,000 a month. Now, it's accumulating. There's an accounting going on of the past depreciation. So when you sell at the end, any depreciation you have, if you just sold it, you would have to recapture that depreciation at a 25% rate. And assuming you had a gain and there's, there's different things, there's different factors to take into account. Yep. Uh, but real estate just has a lot more flexibility in terms of why you might invest in it, the tax advantages with it as compared to traditional stocks and bonds where it's just, you're, you're paying taxes when you sell it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's not a lot of things you can do from a planning. And then there's additional, depending on your profession, whether there's something, whether you're an active investor or a passive investor, there's additional, if you're an active real estate professional, and it doesn't mean you have to have a, a real estate license, 
But if you can get become classified as an active real estate professional, and that's your there's certain rules in terms of the number of hours that have to be spent and things mm -hmm. like that. Active allows you to offset, let's say, of losses, because a lot of times with real estate, because of depreciation, you may have positive cash flow, but actually losses on your tax return from that property because of depreciation or accelerated depreciation. So there's a lot of tax planning you can do there where you're still getting a check for $1,000 a month, and, but, in the, but it's not taxable now because it's sheltered by, by depreciation. Maybe you have a whole bunch of losses from the depreciation. And if you're an active participant, you can offset other income. Let's say you've got uh, other income sources yeah. and you've got a $100,000 loss. You could actually deduct that $100,000 off of other types of income. And then what gets really cool from a tax planning standpoint is I've got clients literally worth tens of millions of dollars that occasionally because of businesses or because of big losses in one year or another, all of a sudden have a loss. We can do planning with their IRAs or with things that normally, depending on ages and a lot of yeah. things, or we can do things called a Roth conversion where I, I had one client that literally had in excess of a million dollar loss one year and he had a $500,000 IRA. Well, we, basically did a Roth conversion, took that whole 500,000 that would be normally taxable at ordinary income, took that out, rolled it into, basically did a Roth conversion, moved the 500,000 into a Roth IRA, which is a vehicle that grows tax-free. So that 500,000, and in his case, he put it in a private equity deal in something that he feels, you know, that'll be a $10 million, that 500,000 will go to 10 million within a few years. That's his feeling on that. And if, and if it does, whatever it goes to is tax-free. So we took what would have normally been, we, because of active tax planning, we took that 500, we took that, used that loss up or part of that loss, yeah. took money that normally would have come 500,000 in ordinary income and in his normal years would have been a couple hundred thousand oh, dollars yeah. worth of taxes, yep. if not more. And we were able to take that, convert it to something that's going to be tax-free at the end because if he would have made that investment in his IRA and that let's say it would have grown to 10 million and he would have taken money out 10 million out of an IRA in his in the highest tax brackets here in California that would have cost him five million dollars in taxes yep his ordinary income wow so there's a lot of planning I love taxes there's so much planning that can be done with taxes and and then we do some really cool stuff the higher net worth people you know, asset protection is a big thing for people. And we can do things compressing values where from an estate tax, the other things people don't, aren't aware of is things called estate taxes. So every person right now can die with just under $12.5 million worth of assets and not have to pay any assets, uh, any estate taxes. Yeah. And people don't realize this. And, and some people, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, who cares? You know, I'm never going to have that much money. But there's a lot of people that have that much money. And couples, and last year we did a lot of planning, thinking the tax rules were going to change, where couples had almost $25 million that they could pass without estate taxes. Estate taxes, basically you're paying 40 to 50 cents on the dollar for every dollar you have above that number. Wow. So I work with a lot of entrepreneurs. You've got an entrepreneur that has a $100 million business or $200 million business or something like that. If they die with that or that in terms of assets, 
think of paying 40 or your beneficiaries are going to pay 40 or 50 cents on the dollar for every amount over that $25 million. But what the talk is right now is that worth, we've never been at this high a level of amount you could gift or, or you could, you can gift up to that as a couple up to that almost $25 million now. Wow. And get it into something that you can grow in the future and never have the beneficiaries never have to pay estate taxes on if you do it properly. But that number, the talk is it's going to go down to somewhere between three and six million dollars really? per person. It used to be a million. When I got into the yeah. business, I remember it was like seven or eight hundred thousand is all you could pass per person. And every amount above that. And the talk is, I mean, the, one of the things this is, is what you leave behind when you. Yeah. And, and this is estate taxes, not income taxes. Wow. So there's a lot of different, so we do a lot of planning regarding people as, as to how do you structure things properly. And there's, and, and a lot of this is just wealth design planning from the standpoint of, like I said, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs have, you know, very interesting situations. <laughs> uh, you've got, you know, you've got this highly concentrated business and, and, and let's, let's talk about business for a yeah. minute because Every business owner is going to have a decision to make at some point. It's like, okay, do I keep this as it is and it's a lifestyle business providing me income? Legacy business. Yeah. Do I grow it or do I transfer or sell it? And if I decide to transfer or sell, I'm going to transfer either to a family member or a key employee or I'm going to sell it to possibly one of those two or a third party. And... How am I going to do that? Is Am I going to do that in part, meaning I'll sell part of it now and part of it later or break it up or in whole? And do I do it all now or do I spread it over time? Uh, there's These are all questions that have to be asked. But right. business, most business owners, the thing I've found is they're so busy working in the business yep. that they don't take the time to work on the on business. business. Yep. And I can't tell you how many times I've had situations with clients calling me and it's still happening because there's so much cash out there on the sidelines looking for a home that doesn't want to be, and I, I mean, institutional money, yes. looking for a place to invest and they're investing in companies. They don't want to be in the stock market, things they can't control, but they want an ownership in companies. Uh, and I'll get calls all the time from business owners. Greg, I can't believe this. I just got an offer to buy my business. I don't even know what to do. I don't know what it's worth. I don't know. So my con, and then I, we go into action from there. But my conversation to biz, with business owners is because when you're in a situation like that, you have, there's two types of businesses. There is attractive businesses and there's ready to sell businesses. And, and your businesses, there's a lot of businesses that are attractive, meaning yep. you're in a, you're in a sexy industry and there's companies looking to buy companies in that industry it's one thing to be attractive but then when you get into the details and you look more it, it's another thing to be ready to sell mm. ready to sell means there's no skeletons in the closet yes it means you're looking at that business and you're saying okay you're analyzing it and saying well is the business all about the owner that's the other big thing yep if you can't walk away from your business and take a month-long vacation yep you don't have a business you have a hobby that's right because or a high paying job. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So from the standpoint of, of 
of looking at the business and understanding kind of kind of where they're where they're at i'll have conversations and we'll say look we've got to get your business ready for sale now this isn't the situation where someone calls mm. and says i got someone now yeah but you need to get your business ready for sale now and what what i mean by that is there's different common there's different things is you've got a one of the ways we do that is for business to sit down with business owners and understand their business and, and help them understand their assess. We'll do assessments to see what th their understanding of the business. Like we've got assessments of big questionnaires that we'll put in, in conversations we'll have business owners to get their understanding of their business. And then from what from there, what we usually do is evaluation. And a lot of people, it's like, why would I want evaluation? That's too much money or whatever. Yeah. You know, there's there's different types of valuations. First of all, there's valuations for like IRS purposes or whatever. There's for those are a lot different than just getting a valuation to find out what the business is worth. And the reason I do that is evaluation is a roadmap, and a lot of people don't realize that because what evaluation tells me a good valuation is, and I'm not talking about something you go to a broker and they tell you, oh, you're going to get a two or three X on your multiple whatever. I'm talking a valuation that breaks your business down. I want to know the strengths and the weaknesses because then we can look at the weaknesses. That's what I'm interested in. And we can compartmentalize each one of those weaknesses and essentially put a value on those to say, okay, you've got you've an over-concentration in certain customers or the business is too much about you or you know, an accounts payable issue or receivable issue or something, what do we need to work on? Because right now we might say the valuation might come back and say, well, your business would sell for X, you know, maybe a three X on multiple of earnings. However, you've got these problems. And then we look at those problems and we say, if we fix this one first, your multiple now goes from a three to a five. And if we do this one, we can get it to a six. Yeah. And this is tied to the biz. Then we, this is tied to a personal assessment, a financial plan, basically, to understand the business owner and say, what do you need? If you were to sell this business tomorrow, how much do you need? Now that we've got the valuation stuff, we can say it's worth X. Is that enough? And you might say, yeah, that's enough. Or it's not quite enough. So it's like, okay, if it's not enough, if we do this and this, we can get it to that number. Or you may say, wow, that's really cool, but I'd really like to have, I'd like to buy a house for my mother-in-law, or I'd like to buy a boat or something like that. And we can literally put targets and we can say, okay, that's going to cost that much more. So it may take another year to do that, but we can get you there by making these additional changes. So it's just going through a process to understand the business and go through the valuation and, and look at the strengths, look at the weak weaknesses. That's having a business. You want your business to be ready to sell at all times. Yeah. Cause you never know when someone's going to walk in. That's right. And cause far often when I get those calls, a lot of time it's a great offer. And unfortunately they're not ready. We could have got, they're not ready or they get a great offer and they, they may decide to sell. But it's a lot less than they could have got. Right. Had you prepared a little had better. Had they prepared. And they don't have the time. And it's kind of like, do I yeah. wait? Do I, I don't want to miss out on this offer. And unfortunately, that's, that's what happens a lot. Mm. Uh, so it's a bit, it, it's 
you know, the other big thing with businesses and business owners is contingency planning. It's what every business owner should ask us. What happens if I get taken out by a bus tomorrow? Yep. And if I have partners, guess what? My wife is their new business partner. That's right. If you haven't done prop, the proper planning, is that a problem? I don't know. Uh, yeah. A lot of people haven't thought about that. Right. Uh, and what happens if you're, so it's just, it's easy to put this stuff off, but you got to get, I, I tell people, you got to work on the business. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's, that's one of the things that really re-energized me over the last, over the last 10, 15 years. It's just, I love working with business owners because not that many people focus on the business and they don't have a process. They're like, I don't even know who to turn to or who to go to, to get help with this type of stuff. And for me, it's like, I don't even care about managing the assets or whatever. For me, what gets my juice flowing, it's like, it's looking at the big picture because we get the business in order. We get the personal planning in order. Then we look at the big picture of there are some really cool things we can do with special trusts and vehicles, charitable stuff, things set up in other states where we can potentially defer California taxes. We can defer, in some cases, we can defer federal taxes 20 years in some cases on business sales and things if everything is structured right. Right. And, right. and it's putting the right team of professionals around you. You've got to have a collaborative team of, of the right people who are all working on your side, working for you, and you're not a ping pong ball between the advisors. Well, the CPA said this and the attorney said that. And get them all in the same room yeah. on a regular basis. One team. Yeah. And so, so would you say that that's, uh, you said that's what gets your blood flowing. Is that the majority of what you do now? Or are you just a little bit of everything? I do a lot. Well, I'm an expert generalist, <laughs> meaning yeah. I know enough to be dangerous in estate planning, in business, in investing, in real estate, in finance, in taxes. I teach. I love to teach. That really gets my blood flowing. Yeah. I, 20-something I, years ago, my partner, John, and an attorney I work with, we talked about, we met, and we talked about this whole idea of collaboration and starting this institute to teach, teach other professionals to teach how to be a team and to, to put it out there. And they forced me, I was scared to death. You want me to stand up and teach, not only, not just teach people, you want me to teach CPAs and attorneys? What are you kidding? And they forced me to do it. And yeah. once a month I'd teach like on, I was always doing the business tracks cause I loved working with business owners and sometimes tax and other stuff like that. And majority of my teaching is still to professionals. Uh, but I still do things to the public. You know, it's, I've, uh, just on, on, I've taught on every topic, you know, I teach tax to, I teach tax to CPAs. Sometimes I teach legal strategies to attorneys. Sometimes, uh, investing real estate, all those types of stuff. I just, I love getting up and talking to people, uh, and just spreading for me. It's, there's so much business out there. I'm yeah. not afraid to give, I'm not afraid to teach other financial planners. It's like, you know, I, I joked with people, this, this sounds really cocky. Yeah. You know, financial planners are a commodity. And I laugh and I say, I don't have a financial planner in the country that does what I do or that has the expertise or the resources and the people that I have and, and, and the network I have. And if I don't have the answer, I can get an answer. And there's just, I, you know, 
I'm not a commodity. It's yeah. for me, it's not, you know, there's some clients I don't manage any of their money. I just consult with them. They want someone to bounce ideas off of whether it be on their business, whether it be about their investments, because a lot of the investments they have, they're doing private stuff and they need to know how all that stuff fits in with their existing structure. And we've got, you know, we've got different trusts in different states and different tax implications. And how does this all, in a lot of those cases, I'm the quarterback for those people. Yeah. I'm having, they're too busy. They've got too many other best use things. They should be focused on their business. So it's like, Greg, can you meet with the CPA? Talk about that planning stuff. Talk about the projections and give me the five minute summary. If you need me in a meeting, I'll be in a meeting, but give me, or go meet with the attorney, go through that stuff. I do a lot of that for clients. Uh, and if, so, if, if if business owners are watching right now or like are, are like who do you bring on? Are you for hire? Are you you only deal with very high net worth individuals? I work well, first of all, my we'll talk about this. My life has changed over the last several years yeah. because of the church. Really? And because of finding my purpose. And wow. probably twenty percent of my time is I call it charity work. Yeah. It's it's work and, and a lot of it I'm working with a lot of young business owners. Yeah that are just doing the coolest things. And I mean, that you talk about getting my juices flowing. Yeah. I mean, I'll sit down with people for a couple hours for free. I don't care. I want to know more about, tell me what you're doing and how you're doing it. It's well, you've a, given me so much and, of your and, time already. And, and we'll have conversations about, you know, entity structure. A lot of it is like, well, I'm an S corp. Should I be at this or that? Or how do I do this or that? Or, uh, you know, and I'll give them direction on stuff and give them, you know, we'll talk about tax planning. We'll talk about investments, their business, their real estate, all that. And I'm not, it, with a lot of those people, I, I can't, I can give them information and point them in the right direction and put them in touch with the right people oftentimes. And that's great. And all of them, I'm like, I want to know, keep me, keep in touch. I mean, I'm excited about some of the people I meet with yeah. and some of the things they're doing that that's what really gets me going. And, and that's what's changed in my life a lot. It's just, I mean, we've talked about these big business owners and I've got some people just working on huge sales and things, exciting stuff happen, yep. happening, big numbers. But at the same time, I've got a little, you know, I've got people that have been working with me for 30 years that I've still, you know, that I, some of the, the statements they've made to me and there's just, just incredible. I will never... I will always be there to help them. Uh, and you said the last several years. Just, what, so give me, give that to me. The uh, um, uh, you said you got since you got to the church. So I, one of my clients, invited me to this. Is this is Awakened Church? Yeah. Uh, and probably five years ago, one of my clients invited me to this this Pathfinder breakfast thing. Ha! And I'm like, I'm laughing because there's one a, next. You know, there's one next a, week. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's it's this business thing, and I'm like, well, it's business. Okay, I'll go. He had a table, and I who got it, there, the and uh, who, who was it? The the client. I I, I don't. Oh, know. you I, can't. Tell. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to say who it was. Oh, got it, got but it, okay. he got it, got he it. invited me there, and I went, and I'm like, wow, this is really cool. You know, there's 600 people in this room, yes. and listening to some really cool, big, high level business speakers. Uh, I'm, this is a church thing, and it wasn't about religion or anything. It was about growing marketplace leaders yeah. and 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 hearing some inspirational stuff and just really cool stuff and so i went to that and then they've got these things called connect groups 
kind of like, hey, if you want to join a connect group, they've got different groups with different purposes and different Texas number. And I said, that was a good, okay, you know what? I didn't want to do it, but I, I felt like I needed to do it. So I did it and joined it, went to this connect group. And, and and it's kind of a prayer group. You know, they do some praying, but they also do, we like read books and do some stuff. And I, I had some nice connections with people. And I'm like, this this is kind of cool. And I went to that for probably about a six, six months or so, but I wasn't going to church. So I, I grew up in the Catholic church. Okay. And, you know. Yeah. At Sunday school, you're in church every Sunday. My mom, it's like, get up, we're going to church. And it was like, oh, you know. And when I got to college, it was like, yes, I don't have to go to church anymore. Yeah, free. But, I mean, it was just like the greatest thing, not having to go to church. And and I had not been to church in 35 years, probably. Wow. And 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 this whole thing. And, and, and my friend was kind of like, you really should read the Bible. And I'm like, you know, I, I went to church. Church gave me church gave me a good foundation back in those days even though i didn't like going it's like look it put me on the right track it gave me a good foundation you know i learned i thought i learned how to pray right back in the it was our father and hail mary yeah that, that was praying in those days I know. uh i didn't know there was any other kind yeah, of praying me either uh until i found this place <laughs> uh but started going to these connect groups and and i saw some I saw some amazing things. I mean, there were some powerful prayer prayer warriors and people in this connect group. And I mean, I saw miracles happening. I mean, I I saw someone's hearing healed like that with prayer. And I saw things happen that I just, people would come back, we they'd pray and I'd kind of just listen along and and they'd pray for people. It's like different things, you know, a week later, someone would come back and, oh, thank God, you, that prayer last week, this happened. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is really interesting. It's not once or twice. It's happening a lot. And so I started watching church online. And all of a sudden, it's like these messages, they were talking to me. And this wasn't church like I was used to. It's like, you know, there's these young, hip pastors up yeah. on who really none of them went to school to be pastors. Right. They were business people they were doing all kinds of stuff and they just fell into this this calling and they're amazing it, i mean talk about motivational and these people are just these people are my heroes now just it's incredible to listen to some of these people talk i know and and they talk about mess it's not standing up there reading a chapter from the bible like in in you know sundays yeah yeah they do read some scripture sure but then they talk about what it really means exactly real day exactly what's going on what's that mean today and just some of the real life stories and stuff and i'd hear these messages and i'm like oh my gosh that's what's going on in my life right now that was meant for me and it it took me probably a year of going to connect groups and some of these breakfasts before i actually physically showed up at the church and and how many online things that you watch prior uh i didn't watch that i'd I'd watch some of them yeah but i started watching occasionally you'd be like oh you know what it's oh there's a church that's live now and i'd turn it on and and i'd be okay that was really interesting and i finally started going and it's like how many how many years ago how many years ago did you that's probably five years five years okay yeah yep and and then it was like still the same 
that message was meant for me. And I'd see, they'd have all these different Which pastors. Which campus did you go to? Uh, Balboa? Uh, Balboa. Yeah. And they'd have all these different pastors. And it's like, wow, some really, really cool thing. And women who were saying great messages and everything. And it just, it really, it, it pulled me in. And mm. it has rocked my life. So what, what, it, what it made me do is realize, probably after about a, after a year of being there, I thought through, I really started going deep spiritually and understanding myself. And I went through this period of gratitude and just realizing how much, how blessed I am and how much I have. And, and it's just not about, because one of the, one of the hardest things in my business, working with all these people with a lot of money, it's, is to not have be envious or jealous or anything like that. And it's, and, it, and one of the things it taught me, it's like, I'm excited for them. I could, I don't want to be them. I don't want, you know, it's like, I want to help them. I want to make a difference. And that's what, that's what feeds me. It's not about, it's not about the money or anything anymore like that. So I went this through this period of about a year of just gratitude and being so thankful and seeing, you know, this incredible place we live and all the, and, and even, even with all the chaos going on, all these new friends and people I was meeting and relationships that, cause we went through a period, my wife and I, where we didn't, all our friends were like my son's parents when yeah. he was in school and right. we do stuff with them. And then the kids grew up and they went off to different high schools and different colleges. We didn't have a lot of friends and it was all of a sudden we've got this new family of people we're meeting and hey come to this and come meet us and hanging out with people and it's like this is really cool and these are really good and one of the things for me it's like i don't want to be the biggest person in the room i'm around all these people i feel about this big yeah around these people i know and and it's just like and and it's just i mean they're just amazing people and that's that's who i want to grow i want to they're my heroes i mean i see I hear speeches sometimes as I use my phone. It's just like, I can't take enough notes on stuff. And oh, what a great idea. And this has turned. So I went from, after about a year, I went through this this gratitude. So what got you on the gratitude thing? Like what was it about the church that got you? Something about, something just made me realize how much I have, how good life is. And the whole, I, life on fire my life was starting to get on fire i started tithing you know for me tithing used to be five bucks in the bucket that was tithing and i've given more money to causes now than you know i i used to be this this is horrible to say but i was the guy at the charity event it's like you'd get invited to a charity event you'd have to go and it's like oh no i don't want to go to that i'm gonna have to give money and and I always thought of tithing and money. I thought of I always thought of giving money as an expense. You know, if I yes. have to give five hundred dollars, I could buy a this for five hundred dollars, or I could go do that for five hundred dollars, or whatever. You know, and this is so bad. But it's like, yeah, okay, go with getting this, ready to go. They're getting ready to go do the. They're getting ready to raise money. I got to go to the bathroom. I'll be back in five minutes. You know, let me duck out of this. In, in, you know, sometimes I do that. It was yeah. just like, and I just hated it. And then I heard, actually heard, it was uh, Pastor Becky Heinrichs who gave him, talked to, 
gave a story about something she did over Christmas one year with with a person that didn't have a lot of money in in uh, line at Target, and she was late for something, and all these things were going on, and here's this person trying to well take that back. I can't afford that, and and she just stopped and she took that person. She basically took them on a shopping spree through Target and bought all this stuff for them that they needed. And she said that message and something just clicked in me. I'm like, wow, I could, how, that's amazing. I could never do that. I mean, it brought me to tears. Yeah. It, and it was just that message and a few other things I heard. Something in my mind clicked. And I no longer think about charity, about giving as an expense. Yeah. Because what I found is every time I give, it comes back 10 times every time and not just financially just whether it's new clients whether it's opportunities whether it's things that it, it's things that i could would have never dreamed it's like you know opportunities that happened or thing i i see it all the time with with clients i talk to who are a lot in real estate where there were 10 offers in that on a house over ask and they got the house under market stuff like that yeah. or the loan interest rates were six percent and they got a four percent loan at the last minute something came through i see this you you know it too. oh yeah you, that kind of stuff and healing and things and it's, these aren't coincidences no no and 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 so my gratitude phase learned there's i went to emerge the first time it was about three years ago uh, went to my first emerge, which is a big men's conference, right? With thousands of thousands of people and thousands of it, men, thousands of men. And, <laughs> and it's not just sitting in there praying like no. people think. I mean, there's, there's field games, there's teams, there's hardcore. You had a broken nose. Oh, yeah. I remember twice, I think. Yeah. Uh, and that's the first time I met you. You're like, yeah, I got to straighten my nose out here. It's, it's so uh, funny. A lot of the guests, it was the first time they met me was bloody. My <laughs> nose just shattered on the field. Yeah. I mean, hardcore war game stuff. And yeah. there's, there's NFL players there's out there. There's N there's MLB guys. There's all kinds of, and it's just, but it was, so one of the speakers at that first one is a guy out of a pastor out of Texas called Keith Craft. Mm. And he wrote a book called your unique or your divine fingerprint. Yep. And that and i remember hearing that message and it's like oh and there's books if he wrote the book if you wanted to get it later and i usually don't even buy stuff like that but i i heard the message and i'm like wow that's amazing it, it talked about finding your purpose right what's your one percent what is it that you that's different about you than everyone else what is your and and finding your purpose most people go through life they have no idea no what idea. their purpose is and I heard that I heard that speech, and I went and listened to and, and got that book and read that book, and something just clicked. And I'm like, my purpose is my thirty-something years in my industry, and all the knowledge and resources and people I know. My purpose is to use my expertise to help other people make money to do good with it. And that's it's one of the things I'm excited about with this church. It's not, you're not a bad person for having money. It's like, you can't have money. That's not a good thing. It's, they want to go out, make money, crush it and do good things with that money. And if I can help people make more money 
and do good things with that money. I don't care what it is, whether it's give some to the church, help other people, help, you know, a person off the street. I hear so many incredible stories about people just helping other people. And that's what, I mean, for me, I want to make a difference in someone's life every day. That's my purpose. And a lot of the time it's just through giving advice to people. And sometimes it's free advice. Sometimes it's stuff they're paying for me, but I, where I'm really making a difference, but it's just that I found that purpose. And I'm just like, wow, you talk about setting your life on fire. I was just like, wow. And then I started, we have a men's prayer group. Yeah. Never thought I'd be going to a prayer, a men's prayer group. I mean, we've got 200 guys just at our campus yep. every Tuesday morning at five 30 in the morning. It's incredible. I'm not a morning person. I'm not either. And I get excited every Tuesday morning to get to church or to, to men's prayer at five for an hour and a half. And <sighs> the stories of people, you know, you hear all these, every one of the things we talk about is what's happened recently, God stories, what things, and it just blows my mind every week, the stories. And one of the things that really, really changed me is one of the things we do is in, in, we'll break up into groups of, pre, of three and, and talk to each other about, you know, what do you need prayer for? And we will pray. And I've, I've learned to pray. And I, I, I pray about that big compared to a lot of people. Yes. I'm just like, wow, these are some, there's some Incredible. serious yeah, prayer, I mean, prayer warriors that just blow my mind. Yeah. And, and so we will we'll break into these groups. So I was in one of these groups of three. And one of the guys was like, you know what? I need prayer for my sister. She's got a tumor or some type of uterine cancer. And the doctors, basically she's gone in. They want to operate in, they want to operate in two weeks. And needless to say, they went through all this. So I'd like some prayer for her. And the other two, the other, the other guy, we, he and I, we, we prayed. And one of the things we talked about was praying for his sister. And we, we did that. And a couple weeks later, the guy comes back and he's like, I've got a God story. And like, and he says, a few weeks ago, my sister was getting ready, you know, was going to have to go in for, for surgery. She was ready to go in for surgery. They did some last tests and scans or whatever. The tumor's gone. The doctors can't explain it. There's no, they're like, we don't get this. And I was like, okay, I was part of that. Wow. That is, even though my prayers were like that compared to the other guy, but I was like, that's really cool. Wow. And, and you hear these stories. I mean, there's 20 of these stories every week, stuff like that. A lot of it is financial where people, I was down to this and all of a sudden, I got a refund check, you know, from 10 years ago, they made a mistake. And, and I had some, I had someone walk up to me at an event a couple weeks ago or about a month ago. And she walks up and she's like, you're not going to remember me. I'm such and such. And I just wanted to thank you. I'm like, for what? She says about a year ago, I had a tax problem and I made that charitable, do- I made this charitable donation to the church and I did it wrong the way I the the way I did it, and it was actually, she tried to write off this the way she wrote it off. Needless mm. to say, she had about a ten thousand. She got a bill for eleven thousand dollars actually from the IRS, 
And it's because instead of donating a stock directly to the church, she sold the stock and then donated it. And the net effect of that, had it gone straight, there would have been no taxes. And But she reported it on her taxes as if she gave it straight. And uh. in my comment to her, we talked a little bit, and I remember saying, here's what I suggest. You did it wrong. There's no way you're going to get around that part. You're gonna, you owe the taxes, this part of it. But let's try and get the penalty waived, because that was a couple thousand dollars. And so... I said, right. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write a letter to the IRS. Yeah, like that's going to work. But I said, I want you to write a letter to the IRS, explain what happened, and and maybe they'll abate the penalty. They'll waive the penalty. You know, it was a mistake on, on, on your part, but you genuinely owe the tax the way you did it. She's like, you're not going to believe this. I got a refund check the other day for eleven dollars or $12,000 or something like that. They and the other thing we did is at the end, I said, Write this letter and let's pray about it too. And she's like, It worked. I got a refund checked. They not only sent her back the waive the penalty, they treated the transaction as if it happened the way she did it. She didn't do it that way, yeah, and it wasn't reported wow. that way, but they treated it as if it happened that way. <laughs> you can't, you can't buy that stuff, no. You can't make it up. So, so that leads to, so I'm, I'm in this, the last few years, I'm in this purpose phase. Yeah. You know, I went from gratitude and, and to put it in the context here, Greg, you're 57 mm-hmm. and you're, you're saying here that basically it wasn't until a few years ago, 54 ish, where you actually finally really completely realized your purpose. Yeah. Would you say that's pretty fair? Yeah. Think about that, folks, if you're listening here, or for those that are listening. 54. I'm 51. I locked into mine a, a couple years ago, or within the last year and a half, fully 100%, and it's because of Awakened Church. Yeah. Just something about this then. Same, same thing for me. It was, that, it was that message I heard at a conference that Keith Kraft gave, and, and the actual cool thing is crazy in, in January... I got to go, I had a meeting with a client out in Texas and I had some contacts with Keith Kraft through other people. I said, I'd love to meet him just to shake his hand and say, thank you. And I had the opportunity to go to his church, what I thought was going to be a five minute meeting. Elevate life, right? Yeah. And we spent an hour, sat down and it was just amazing. We wow. talked through and he's like, tell me more about this. And I gave him some feedback and stuff and talked about investment type things and what they're doing at the church and what the type of stuff they're looking for. And it was just, it was amazing. I was just like, I, it was so cool to be able to shake his hand and meet him and say, thank you. Uh, and then met him again just a few months ago at a marriage conference. Yeah. I, that, I met him at the, that, I already had already met him, but yeah, he was sitting in front. I, I spoke at that conference yeah. and he was sitting in front of That's me. That's right. <laughs> I'm like, Keith, remember me? And it was just, it's just cool. Uh, just an amazing person. And, and what, Greg, what is it about this? What is it about this church that just brings it out in us? I don't, what, well, what's going on here? So the last part of this, I went from gratitude yep. to purpose. Yep. Just in the last few months, I've transitioned into this authority phase. Wow. Okay. And I didn't, 
and part of this is just things I'm like, you know what I have. And it was just a few months ago. I saw a, a couple of messages, uh, from various people. And again, I think pastor, pastor Becky was one of them for something. Her messages seemed to resonate yes. with me on, in some things at a high level. It was just, but I'd seen a couple people talking about authority and the Bible says we have the authority. God will work through us mm. to perform miracles and to perform things. And we're granted that authority. And I never understood that until I heard some of these messages. And, you know, all the time people come and they say, hey, will you pray for me? Or you see it on social media or whatever. And it's like, and you say, sure. You know, for years I've said, you know, if someone's hurt or whatever. Hey, you say, hey, my pr I'm sending my prayers. Right. Yeah. It's a comment. Correct. How many people? Or maybe you say in, the old, say in our father or whatever. Yeah. But now that I've learned how to pray and to really pray, and I'm, I'm still learning, I yes. say, I, yeah. I'm, I'm very, so I had a situation a couple of months ago come up where a prospect client person who I met with, uh, basically said, Hey, I'm in a situation where, uh, I know you've, I know you to go to church and you pray and all that. It's like, will you pray for my, my, uh, stepmom? She is been on dialysis her kidneys are starting to fail she's having problems and will you pray for her and at first i'm like yeah sure but it's that it was one of those sure i'll pray for her yeah, type things yeah 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 and i thought and then i heard i heard a mess that message from becky over the weekend and I'm talking about authority and the authority we have and it's the same thing I've been hearing in all these, I've been here, I hear God's stories every week and all this. And I'm like, you know what? This is my situ. This is my, it's my time to take authority. And I put it out there. I, I, I thought about this actually that weekend. I did some re I spent a couple hours just going through Googling scriptures about healing mm. and different and, and also understanding dialysis and, what was with kidney failure and stuff like that. Cause I knew a little bit about it and I actually wrote a prayer because I, things don't just come to me with, yes. And I put together a whole page basically of combination of what I learned over the kidney stuff and scripture and stuff. And I wrote along a, a, a page long prayer and, and I, I called that, that person back and I said, because she knew how strong my faith was. And I said, do you really believe, you know, I think I want to pray over your mom or your, your stepmom. And will you, do you really believe this? And she said, yes, I really, I want to do anything it takes to, to help her. Uh, and she's not a believer. The mom mm. isn't either. And, and this person isn't real. She, She's kind of like, yeah, I believe in God, but, yes. uh, and so I prayed that prayer. I read that prayer and started praying, made it part of my regular prayer. And a, a few weeks later, she calls me up and she's like, you're not going to believe this. They found a kidney for her and, and it's, you know, 
you know, it can, it can take years to oh, find yeah. a kidney if you find one and all everything. It was like within, within actually it was close. It was, it was happened within days of when we started all that. Cause she found out a couple of weeks later about yeah, this. Right. And within days of when we started praying about that, that's when it happened. And this, what's interesting about this is I was, before I did this, I talked to some different, I talked to Dr. Matt, I talked to some other people, even in prayer. I said, here's what I'm thinking about doing. I'm thinking about praying for this person and declaring it ahead of time. I'm telling you, I'm telling other people, I think we can do this. And I genuinely think we can heal this person. And this was, this was powerful for yep. me. Oh yeah. And it's one of those things where I had to put the doubt out of my, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I can do this. And to hear that feedback, maybe it was coincidence, but I'm, it's set. It's where now I'm like, it's about authority. And I've been, I've had a few situations now where people were in the hospital that I prayed for. I've had situations. I had someone whose car was stolen and I, I prayed with them that they, the car was gone, had been gone. The car had been gone for a month and a half or something like that. And they mysteriously found it in perfect condition parked somewhere. When I started praying about it with this person, it's just weird. I'll, I'll say most yeah. people, say, oh, yeah, right, whatever. But it's like, I, I've just, I feel this new spark in me. Wow. And I'm, I'm excited. And, and the more I talk to other people about who are, who are doing this on a regular basis, yeah. and I hear these stories. It's like, this isn't coincidence. No. And yeah, it, in every situation, is it going to work? No. And there's, you know, there's times where it's just things are not meant to be whatever. Right. But one of the things I've learned is a lot of people say, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. Mm -hmm. What I've learned is you've got to be active it's, it's not just God's will. It's you have to have to actively pray, ask for what you want, ask and, and actively pray for it. And again, I'm just, I am so new to this, Yeah. but it's just it, amazing things are happening. And, and, and this is the type of stuff that's changed my life. It's just like this, <laughs> Wow. how do you, you know, and, and now I don't, you know, a lot of people, oh, that's, that's hogwash or whatever. I don't care. Don't believe it. Yeah, don't believe it. I don't care. Keep living the life you that you're what? living. I'm I'm seeing results from everything. I'm seeing, you know, I'm I'm seeing the benefits of tithing, of, of of helping others, of other I can't explain things that happen. You know, certain clients that just hey, I just found you however, I just got invited to do a to speak at a big conference, a family office conference in Palm Beach later in the year. It's just Oh, we came across your name and stuff like stuff like that doesn't just hey it could could be coincidence right but opportunities just continue to present themselves isn't that incredible man like when you open yourself up and allow god to do his thing look what's happening it's just it, it's amazing it it's is because i was telling i just I, 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 <laughs> I do it just i can't help it i mean this stuff it's just it's unreal i i can't i can explain it 
but I can't, you know, it's just, it's just like, it, it's God moving in amazing ways. And here, you know, I was the person who hadn't been to church in 35 years and, and it's not like I'm out there some Bible thumper or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's just, no. and I'm still, I'm still learning this stuff. Oh, yeah. I'm just so, you and me both. I, I, I feel about this big around and I, I, you know, I hear some of the, some of the prayer warriors and the prayers people. Incredible. How can you not be energized when you hear some of these prayers and, and people and and just a, and it's like you say Tom po- Tom Foster yeah. was on recently, man to hear him some of the the things he excuse yeah. me one of the things he talks about is he talks about look don't just do this one time look for opportunities to do this right and continue to do this because the more you do it the better you'll get at it and the stronger you'll get at it amazing. And, and that's, that's, it's just like, and that's why I'm like, okay, I'm in this authority phase right now. I can do this. I have the ability. I was granted. I'm just a vessel. Yeah. It's not me doing it. That That's the other thing. Correct. Is it's not, it's not about me. It, it literally is God working through us. And, and if you don't believe it, I don't care. Yeah. Once you get to that point, which is where I got to the last year and a half being at Awaken, it's the most amazing feeling when you realize that I'm I'm literally just a vessel, yeah, and being a light, you know. And for and if, if people want to come to that light and try this out, hey, we'll we'll we'll, we'll open up the door. Yeah, come, come on through. Exactly. Right. It's like, and so there's people listening to this. There's Christians listening. A lot of Christians will be listening to this, of course. There's a lot and a lot of are, are in your position where they they. And like me, I, I feel like when I hear these prayer warriors, I'm in awe. Yeah. Wait do you hear Tom's prayer at the end of this podcast? It was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it blows away. me away. I mean, they're pulling scripture. They're yeah. pulling. It's just like, wow. It's, you know, it's I, like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to pull together a few sentences. Yeah, and, a few sentences. It's yeah. unbelievable. So, all right. So let's. Let's finish with this, Greg. That was an incredibly inspiring story and one which I think people are going to get a lot of value from right there. Just the end there, what you said about being an an authority now. That's a big thing, man. Yeah. Huge. Because we all think that we're either not worthy or I'm just this little guy. I don't even know how to pray at this point. But we have an anointing on us and we got to realize that. Yeah. And realize, you know what? I do have the authority to do this. God needs us to do this. Yeah. And so, but right now we're, I want, I want to get your, I want to f- finalize on this, the people that are watching and listening, because you said it earlier that we are with all the chaos going on right now, mm-hmm. inflation, the, 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 the media, uh, monkey pox, they're bringing COVID back around people are, you can tell people are being in a retail business. I can tell people are nervous again. I can tell people are freaking out. Give me some, give me the, the watchers and listeners some advice right now. If they feel like they're lost, they don't know what to do. Where do they turn? How do they move forward in life right now? How bad is it? Is real estate going to blow up? Like, what do you, th- and I know that's a big, huge open-ended question <laughs> here. Like, wh- wh- what would you advise for people well, right now? First of all, from a timing standpoint, yeah. we're in just to date this. Cause yeah. if someone's listened to this podcast a year later or right. whatever, yeah, true, true. uh, you know, we're, we're here in July of 2022. That's right. And, you know, there's there's always, I've been doing this 35 years, and I've been through so many market cycles, and it just, 
it always sucks. It feels bad at the bottom in terms of, but, and, and it's part of the reason for me, I've, I've, I, there's always opportunity, first of all, is whether there's always opportunity for business. There's always, you've got to pivot. You've got to be dynamic with mm. things. And from a, from a personal planning, there's also always places to invest. And it's, remember, first of all, step back and take a look, bigger picture of the longer term. What are you trying to accomplish? What's your time horizon for things? And things, there's always going to be some things that it's why you diversify with everything. There are always going to be some things that go bad. It's just, it's part of, it's why you diversify. Yep. And a lot of the times it's not because of the person or the person that got you in that or whatever. It's just more about because of the situation or the economy or things like that. But it's why people shouldn't take too big a risks or too. Now with business owners, again, it's your highly concentrated asset. And it's one of the reasons you've got to spend the time to work on the business and be prepared for, we're gonna, everything goes in cycles. We're always gonna have cycles. Uh, I think it's really important to have a good team of professionals around you. You need a good CPA or tax person who's, who's a planner. Uh, you need, in, in some cases, you need a good business attorney or, or person that you can, you can rely on that way. You need a good financial planner or, in, or, or investment person who's looking at the big picture. And, and I say that because I've, you've heard me say this when I talk before, yeah. in terms of every time someone is trying to sell you something, I don't care if it's insurance, I don't care if it's a piece of real estate, uh, an investment or whatever, understand the costs of that, why that person is, what's motivating that person to sell you that? Is it because they're getting a big commission or a fee on the end? Is it, what's, what's the driver behind that? And there's nothing wrong with someone getting paid to sell you something. But I, where I go with this is oftentimes people have boxes that they work in. And, you know, with financial planners in, or, or stockbrokers in many cases, they get paid to sell you stocks and bonds. So when they tell you it's not a good time to invest in real estate, oftentimes it has to do with, well, guess what? They can't get paid to sell you real estate or to get you into real estate or they haven't figured out how to uh, or it's not their expertise, which is fine, but they're not, they don't want to lose those assets. Or we see it a lot with attorneys because there's a lot of attorneys that have specialties. They do a certain type of trust or right. expertise in something, which is phenomenal because the attorneys I work with oftentimes, we need those specialists. They're an expert in that type of trust in that state or that something like that. And we'll use them all the time. We need you to do this to create a this trust or a that trust. But we're overseeing the bigger picture of what's the, the bigger plan and how, to, how does that fit. And I say that because if you were to meet with an attorney that ha specializes, you know, when I see a lot of client plans or something from certain attorneys, it's like, guess what? Everyone has all their conversations lead back to an ABC trust yeah. or a this or that trust or something like that. So I say, consider the source, understand what, you know, educate yourself. I tell people, a lot of people don't want to take the time to educate yourself on, on investments, on things. You don't have to learn the expert. You don't have to do it, but understand what it is you're investing in understand the risks involved with a lot of people don't realize 
This happened in 2008 where people rode this big wave up. They made all this money in <coughs> the stock market or real estate or other things, and they didn't diversify. They didn't take some chips off the table. And the same thing goes with business owners. If you, you should, if you have the opportunity to start taking chips off the table and diversify, build different buckets, you should be doing that. For when times are down, maybe those buckets will help support the business or support you during those down cycles in other things or in other times when some of the investments are down, you've got other buckets to, to pick, up, pick up the slack. But it's just so important to understand the motive behind yeah, who's trying right. to sell you anything. Because, and, and understand there are oftentimes insurance specialists, insurance licensed people, they're trying to sell you investments. And in some cases, they make sense. But in a lot of cases, guess what? Those are, that's how big their box is. Yeah. So you're going to get only what they can, they can give you. And it's one of the reasons I say I have no competition, because I don't care what you invest in. You know, I'm a big crypto guy. And for me, it's, it's but it doesn't mean all my clients have crypto. It's just, it's for me, it's like, I don't care what you invest in. Let's understand what your goals are. What are your objectives and your goals? And how does that, and, and what's your risk tolerance? Understanding you and your situation better to then decide what investments are appropriate and what structure is appropriate and looking at the taxes and the big picture and the planning and all of those types of stuff rather than, oh, I've got this great thing I want to sell you. You know, if I meet you the first time, how do I even know that's appropriate for you? Right. It's just like, you know, if you start leading with a product, I'm long gone. Yeah. And then real estate right now, call it. Everybody's uh, saying it's going to, it's a bubble. It's going to pop. Interest it rates went up again it, yesterday. It depends. I mean, there's no, what type of real Prices estate? Prices are high. Where? What location? Yeah. We're got, I'm working with a developer. We're picking up 600 units. We're closing on a deal in Springfield, Missouri on 600 units at you know ninety thousand dollars door or something like that it's it depends where and this is having to do mm. with the price the value we're getting this under market under current value on this property uh there's some great opportunities there i mean i'm i'm talking to some guys we're looking at affordable housing projects in the houston area where you can get a prefabbed house for thirty thousand dollars so there's a group, there's a developer group right now that's got a pilot community that of a couple hundred houses costs $30,000 for a house, $3,000 to put that, to install that house on the land. Then depending on whatever the land cost is to do that, these things are renting for $1,000 a month. And there's a line out the door of people trying to wow. get into these. Can you... <laughs> Uh, it, it's just it's crazy yeah i want it on that one but, but no well it, it's just this is something we're talking about i'm just i'm just saying but there's opportunities yeah, out there that's the bottom line there's opportunities there's everywhere. always opportunities as long as and, you're looking for them yeah and and there's going to be opportunities in even though if, in stocks and bonds and all that too you've, you've got to look for them you've got to do your research and some of it's timing so when people talk about real estate are you talking about single family you're talking about Multifamily, industrial, storage, whatever. I've got a big block. I just got noticed yesterday of a big, big bunch of storage units we own. Uh, I, some clients are in there. They packaged up eight of these, and they got a, just a huge premium out of them. And it's like it was 
a price we couldn't resist to sell these. Wow. Uh, so there's all kinds of opportunities out there. Unbelievable. All right, so let's finish it up by telling me right now, everybody watching, listening, how important is it? Like what drives you every day? What's your why? I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference every single day in someone's life. That's that's what dry, that's that's what it's about. That's what it's about, ladies and gentlemen. Making a difference, making an impact. And I'll tell you right now, if you're in San Diego, we can help you find your purpose by coming to Awaken Church. I'm I'm dead serious about that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Just get in there and let in and, and the rest it'll all fall into place because that's where I found my purpose. You found your purpose. And that's the going rate right now. Everybody just seems to leave that all of yes. our, all of our God-given purpose are just coming, flowing out of us now all of a sudden. It's, you find your purpose and your life will change. That's it. It's, yeah. That's what it's all about. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Deal Talk, Greg Penner, my guy, look at him. He's all heart. Love you, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. That's a wrap. Real Deal Talk. Uh.